Hello, and welcome to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. We're ready to dive into the deep end of running a creative business, the joys, the sorrows, and the shit no one wants to talk about. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, a traveling wedding photographer and coach for creative business owners who scaled two businesses while single parenting, so I know it doesn't always go as planned. Hold on to your seats as we explore what wholeness looks like within your creative journey and how growth doesn't always come in the ways we expect. Well, hey, and welcome back to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, and I'm really excited to be back from the summer. We had the best summer. I hope you all did too. Here in Tennessee, we're already back to school, which I kind of think is ridiculous because when I was growing up in Virginia, we never started school until after Labor Day. So to start school like August 1st feels so early, but here we are. So we got back to school this week. We are prepping for um, our Danger School launch, which we're so excited about and um, creating some awesome podcasts and just kind of getting back on the horse, so to speak, of work and uh, fall wedding season and all of those things. So hope you are gearing up for an awesome fall as well. And um, these next few podcasts, I'm really excited to introduce to you because we are doing, this one's a question and answer podcast. So we kind of have been collecting questions on Instagram and in some other places. We're going to answer some of those today. And then we'll be doing five short episodes this coming week that will be challenges. So we're doing five days of challenges to get more photo clients in your business. So if you're a photographer, this is a bring more clients in the door kind of challenge, something that you can repeat, something that's simple, something that's fun, something we can do together. So we're doing it on the podcast because I know we're all tired of like, oh, the secrets are right behind this. Like give us your email and the secrets are right behind this. You know, we're all tired of that. Um, and then putting our email and then we get emails for forever and they're not helpful and blah, blah, blah. So don't want to do that to you. They are going to be for free on this podcast. Um, if you do want the worksheets though, you do have to give us your email promise not to spam you, but we're going to be sending out a whole email each day with a worksheet, with more info, with more ways to make this applicable. It's just the easiest way for us to do it technically. Um, but the whole challenge and the assignments will be here on this podcast for free. Share with a friend. The sooner you kind of jump in on the challenge, the easier it's going to be to keep up. And they do all build on each other. So tell a friend, especially if you're like frustrated with marketing right now, frustrated with marketing your creative business, feeling like you aren't hearing back when people do inquire or you're not sure why your books aren't full yet. Um, this is this is going to be really fun and this is going to be helpful and we're going to see some results from it. So I'm excited. So just a quick recap for us, for me and my business, for us here at Dangerous Creatives. We, as you know, I've said it on this podcast, we've taken a lot of breaks this year. This was kind of a recalibration year. We've had some really big years and this year I just felt intuitively like I was supposed to slow down. I took a lot of sabbaticals. I did a lot of resting and traveling and kind of like figuring out what was next for me and my business. And in the summer, I was starting to feel more energy. So I had like signed up for a 
conference. I had signed up. I was like considering getting my master's degree. I kept like, I was starting to poke at these different paths and thinking like, maybe this is my next step. And the more I've been leaning into this intuitive way of doing business, intuitive way of living, the more, the like stronger this intuition has gotten. So this is going to sound a little weird. Don't get, you know, don't DM me being like, Kristen, you're such a weirdo. I mean, you can if you want to, but I was, I was preparing for this conference and I had this dream that basically was like, you're not supposed to go to this conference. So sold my ticket, got out of the conference, have really just enjoyed the summer with my family. Um, just took a trip to Greece where, um, I had a shoot, but then I also, um, I'm homeschooling my son. So I got to like teach him about ancient Greece. I got to teach him about mythology. Um, we've had this whole kind of like up down. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as it comes to his education. And, and this answer just like felt so peaceful once I made it. And, and we just had such an amazing family trip. So I was able to see how like work, life, school, um, personal goals, all of those things could kind of blend together in a way that I haven't seen them happen before. Um, so that was huge for me. And that's something that like, we're really excited to lean into for the rest of this year is really letting life lead and business is going to, you know, also be this beautiful thing that we do. That's very much interwoven with personal goals and life goals and homeschooling and being, a, you know, being together as a family. So I cannot wait. Um, it's kind of a small example of what we love teaching in danger school, which is, is really basing your business and goals off of your core values and what off with what is really important to you. Cause it is so easy. And I've done this many times. It's so easy to like end up down this path that wasn't really the one you wanted to be on in the first place. And when that happens, you can always readjust. But when we like kind of have this place of groundedness where we can make those growing steps, we can make those steps that feel really authentic to us. Um, I've found that it's just so much more fulfilling and a lot of times looks different than what we think we're supposed to do. So that is why we're here. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we love to host conversations with creatives about how they run their business because we've seen it be such a life-giving thing for people and we've seen it be such a painful thing for people depending on on kind of what path they go on and if they're um, if they're stressed about every single decision or if they're leaning into this flow. So we're excited for this challenge. We're excited to answer these questions and we hope that it helps make business and life and creativity a little bit more peaceful for you and for people around you. I also know this is trending right now, but I've been taking a daily walk since the beginning of this year, I think. Um, and you know, everyone calls it hot girl, hot girl walks on Instagram, hot guy walks. It's, um, just something that I started doing as part of kind of like getting my health back, getting tapped back into my intuition. And I can't tell you all of my ideas, all my podcasts, everything I've written on Instagram, anything that like feels kind of channeled or intuitive comes after one of these walks. So also highly recommend if you're looking for something to like boost creativity or you feel like you're in a slump, try walking a couple miles a day. See see just like what happens, see what comes to your mind, see if you feel a little bit more grounded or more in flow and see what happens afterwards. Cause every single thing I've written this year has come after a hot girl walk. And I kind of think that's awesome. 
Okay, let's jump into the Q&As. So again, look at the link in the profile of this, uh, in the show notes of this episode if you want to be involved in the challenge. Um, Those episodes are going to start dropping on Monday. And um, also follow along on Instagram at Kristen Sweeting. There's going to be chances to have things reshared and posted and shout outs and things like that. So um, let me know that you're joining. I would love to get to know you, look at your work, see your business, all of those things. So yeah, let's dive into the questions. So y'all have asked me questions, but I've also asked you questions on Instagram. So we're going to go into both of those because this week I asked if you were a Greek god or goddess and you were in charge of inflicting curses on people who had wronged you, what curse would you create? We got some hilarious answers. So that's to come. Um, Also, the one that I'm really excited to talk about, which is what amount of money in your bank account would make you feel safe? We got such a huge variety of answers, and I'm excited to dig into those too. But starting with questions that we've received, there is one that comes up a lot, which is if you are just getting started in your photography business, your creative business, what, what advice do you have? What advice do you have if you're just getting started? And there's this thing that I think a lot of us are tempted to do, which is to start being like, there is a right way to start doing this. I need to have all my ducks in a row. I need to do all these things the right way first. And when you're at that beginning stage of your creative business, maybe you have never had a paid client. You just know you like photography or you know you want to try to start a business. The best thing to do is to just get out there and start doing it. Like photograph your friend for free photograph your dog, photograph every flower you pass, like do the creative work for the pure joy of doing it. Because the more that you are kind of in that flow and in that joy, the more you're going to be attracting in opportunities. People are going to start noticing that you are just in this state of bliss. And when we jump too quickly to like, I just got my first camera. How do I make a million dollars from it? It can really easily, unless you're super motivated that way, which some people definitely are, but it can just start to like, you know, it can start to kind of kink up that flow of the thing that we love doing. So at the very beginning, my best advice is to be really bad at what you're doing and do it a lot. Make as many bracelets as you can. Give them to all your friends. Shoot as many, like photograph as many people as you can for free, for cheap, get good, get as good as you can at it just by the pure joy of doing it. And as you start realizing what you like doing, you're like, oh, I photographed this family and I don't like photographing families, or I really love dogs. I really love photographing dogs. Like start doing more of it. Start practicing charging a little bit here, a little bit there, and just practice and practice and practice and practice. Um, So when people come to me and they're like, I'm like all frozen up. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make this grow. I'm like, you haven't put in enough reps yet. You haven't just done the thing. You haven't just created the photo shoots. So don't jump too quickly to overthinking. Spend that time in that creative flow, in that joy, just doing it as much as you can. And honestly, the next best thing from that is sharing it, sharing those photos, just being excited about the work you're creating, posting the photos on your social media, start telling people about what you're doing with no expectation that people hire you. What I've found happen is that the more we share, the more excited we are about what we're doing, 
this really natural flow of energy starts coming your way and people start noticing. So before you kind of think like, oh, I need to start putting out Facebook ads, just do it, post the photos, be excited about it, and um, you know, have a way of people to contact you. Another common question we get is about niching. And there's a lot of different opinions about niching. Should I niche into this one type of photography, this one type of coaching, this one ideal client? And here's my thoughts on niching. So so I'll just start with my own story because I remember when I was starting photography, I was really concerned of like, I know I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to niche, but I like fashion and I want to shoot commercial work and I want to shoot weddings and I want to shoot portraits and I like, I love it all. And thinking about only focusing on one thing was really, um, it felt like constraining and felt like it killed some of my creativity. So for a long time, I played around with like, how can I be a music photographer and a wedding photographer? And um, honestly, I had so much fun doing all the different things. I had so much fun doing the music work and um, doing the commercial work and doing these different things. And and I did find in that, and I, you know, an ideal client or a niched client that was like this creative musician that might want wedding photography and wants music photography. Um, so there was there was a market there, but I will say I did niche when my son, when I was pregnant, because I was like, I'm choosing to work less so that I can be with him. Um, I want to only work these like certain weekends. And I really leaned into weddings. And my experience was that I was able to grow my business faster by niching. So what that looked like is I took a lot of the stuff I was doing off my website, really just focused on weddings only posted weddings on Instagram, only really talked about it on my website, kind of was like, I'm going all in on wedding photography. This like film kind of high-end look, I was like, I'm going all in on wedding photography. Now, what it didn't mean is it didn't mean that I stopped taking stuff that wasn't weddings. I just stopped showing it. And I think that's one thing that kind of trips people up is they're like, I can't take these other projects because it'll water down my brand. And I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, this is still a job for me. I still need to make money. I still need to pay the bills. I still need to put dinner on the table. And so I was taking event photography. I was taking commercial photography gigs. I was taking these other projects Um, that I was getting from a different way of marketing than Instagram or my website. So I think when when people get all hung up on like, I'm going to cut out all these other opportunities, I still got requests for family photography. I still got requests for a lot of these other things. Um, They just maybe were slower and not like this um, at the same volume as the thing that I was mainly marketing. So if you do want to go the route of niching, which does allow you, in my opinion, to charge more, to be kind of this, um, to be an expert at one thing, um, you know, people that really niche into family photography can build a really great studio around that. People that really niche down into a type of wedding photography or destination photography, they're known for that. It's easier for people to recommend you, to connect you with opportunities. Um, it's hard for someone to send um, a referral to someone that has like a million things on their website. It just feels a little disorganized. Um, So it is easier to be an expert to charge more to grow when you do niche, 
but it doesn't mean you don't have you can't stop doing the other things either. I just found that there's different ways that I marketed each thing. So, you know, for and for example, and this is after I'd built up the wedding photography side of what I was doing of like I could I could live just on my wedding photography work. But I had a client that I really loved that was a commercial photography client and um, I pitched like a retainer project to them. So I had this this retainer project stuff coming in from them. So I had like a steady paycheck coming in from my commercial work. I had my weddings. Um, I started doing coaching. You know, I had these different revenue streams um, without it kind of taking away from the way my website looked or the way my portfolio looked or what Instagram looked like, which is kind of a mini portfolio. Um, so I was still dabbling in all these things. And um, and we'll do a full podcast on this because I think it's interesting of like, the secret side hustles that you can have. And I think people think like, oh, if I do something, it needs to be on my website, needs to be on my Instagram. People need to see it everywhere. There's so many other ways to market different sides of your business than your website and Instagram. So if you're wanting to have that really put together look, but still want to do a bunch of other things, be like, in what way am I going to market this other thing that I love doing? In what way am I going to market my commercial work? So if you're a commercial photographer, you might be connecting with people on LinkedIn. You might be going to networking events and meeting people that own businesses or that work at corporate businesses. And that might be the way that you get your commercial work as you have these connections and they're kind of sending you, you're, they're sending you these opportunities and have something behind the scenes that you're like sending to them. Or um, I know some people do separate brands. So they have their wedding videography brand and they have their commercial videography brand. So that's a way that you can niche and do multiple things is kind of separate out your brands and have different names for them. Um, My word of warning on some of this is that you know, everyone on the internet, everyone, every piece of information you hear is like multiple revenue streams, multiple revenue streams. Yes, but you have to focus on one and build it up first before you start trying to build more revenue streams. Otherwise you're just running around trying to do a million things and nothing really takes off. So I'm all about having multiple revenue streams, having, you know, passive income or leveraged income. Um, but don't try to do them all at the same time. So, you know, if you're wanting to build a niche in wedding photography or family photography, focus on that for a while, focus on that until that is just like, you're not even really having to market your business to keep it going. When I started the coaching side of my business, which y'all know, like there's a podcast, there's retreats, there's coaching programs, there's online courses. It's a lot of different things. My wedding photography business was already so solid that I barely had to post on Instagram about it. I barely had to market it. I was getting these steady referrals and inquiries coming in and enough bookings without me actively marketing it. And I've mentioned this on Instagram before, and I've mentioned it here before, and we'll probably do a whole podcast about it at some point. But at that beginning stage of your business, when you're really trying to get something to catch, you have to spend so much time marketing it. And so I kind of use that 100K mark as a... 
um, as like a marker of once you get to about 100 or 100k or 150k in revenue, things start shifting a little bit. You have enough clients where there's this steady flow of referrals, this steady flow of people sending, saying your name, sending people to you, um, rehiring you if they've hired you before. But when you're in that building stage, you know, I'm like, you know, pushing a boulder up a hill in my mind with my hand right now (laughs) that you can't see because it's a podcast, but you know, you are just like, you're working towards that, that point where things are going to start rolling. So don't be in the middle of that hill, pushing the boulder up the hill and being like, now I want to be a fashion photographer. Like great if you do, but try to get that one thing in a really solid place before you branch into the next thing. That's my advice. Some other thoughts on niching though is that there's there's other ways to niche besides just like the type of photography you do. It can be the style that you shoot, it can be the location that you go to, it can be that oh I only do destination stuff and that might be boudoir or portraits or weddings. Or oh I only shoot film and that's kind of the niche that I have or I only work with musicians or, you know, you can be more specific and it doesn't just have to be the genre or the type of photography that you're doing. And I had a piano teacher that would always say this because I, I loved the improvising. I loved kind of the like chord progressions and making up my own things. And she'd be like, Kristen, you have to learn the scales. You have to learn how to do it right before you can start breaking the rules. Like, of course, part of the creative process is breaking the rules and not niching and doing whatever the fuck you want to do. Like, that's why we're that's why we're running fun, creative businesses. Just what I have noticed in students and in my own business is that like once you've built that thing, then yeah, you can kind of break all the rules. You can um, decide that, you know, today I shoot boudoir and tomorrow I do weddings and this and this, and like, it still kind of works. Um, but it's harder to do that at the beginning. It just looks like you're kind of messy and don't know what you're, don't know what you want to do. Okay. So just to clarify, (laughs) very beginning, try all the things, figure out what you like. If you're wanting to grow a business that's going to make multiple six figures, six figures, which you don't have to want that. But if you do, leaning into one for a while can be super beneficial. And it's going to cut out some of that frustration of like, why is this not catching on sooner? Um, So do that for a while and then be like, you know, either behind the scenes doing the other things that you love doing, put different brands on them, or just say like, for now, I'm going to focus on building this one thing. And once I build it, then I'll branch into these other things that I want to do. There's so much time to do all the things we want to do. And I love it. This is another photography one is, um, should I upgrade my gear? Someone messaged me and was like, I have, um, this older camera. Um, now all these people are upgrading to mirrorless. Should I upgrade mine? Am I going to be behind? And my philosophy with gear, especially because I shoot a million really old film cameras is, like get as good as you can with that camera before you upgrade it. When you'll start noticing when you're like, I'm this is this camera is getting in the way of my creativity or there's something I want to be shooting and this is blocking me from doing it. Um, or like I've figured out how to do the best I can with this camera. Now I need something different. So like I, I, I like to be contrarian a little bit. So when everyone is moving to film photography and everyone quote unquote had a contacts six, four, five, 
I was like, I have a Mamiya 645. I have a Mamiya 645. And um, I kind of liked being the one that had the different camera. But it started glitching, and I wasn't getting the quite the look that I wanted. And I um, I could tell that I was just being stubborn and not getting the contacts because I like wanted to be different. And I finally did. I invested the money, upgraded to the contacts, and started using that lens, and and was able to hone my style with that camera in a way that I wasn't able to do with the Mamiya. So, gear can be really important to the creative process. Um, but also I think like a lot of times photographers put way too much weight on, um, I need this next digital product. I need this newer thing, more megapixels, bigger lenses. Um, and, and I think what's more important is really finding the combination of things that lets you be creative, that lets you document the world in the way that feels, um, feels authentic to you. So I only use a couple lenses. I, um, I've experimented with different film cameras and I'm like, when I use this gear, I get to, um, I get to communicate how I see the world through those. Um, and some of the digital gear, like upgrading to the newest and greatest, just like doesn't do it for me. It's not inspiring for me. For some people, I think it is. So if you're one of those people, by all means, get the greatest camera, go for it. Um, I, I am most concerned with like reliability. Do I trust this camera? And there's a piece of me that like with those new ones where I'm just like, I don't know, I don't trust it. I don't think it's going to do as good a job. Um, So I tend to wait until like a lot of the bugs have been fixed and things. This question I got, I get a lot, but I did just do an episode on this of how do I get more clients? There's a big marketing episode, last episode, and then also the next five that are coming. We're really going to, we're really going to put some feet on that. So I'm not going to dive too much into this question right now, Um, except for if, if you've like been in business for a while and you're starting to feel a dry a dry patch. Um, think about what worked before. Who sent you your last referrals? Who? Um, what venues were you working with before? What did you try in the past that worked? And maybe it's time to kind of go back and revisit that. So um, a lot of times I think people forget how much turnover there is in different industries and we need to kind of stay relevant and stay connected to people that like to venues and to people who may have referred us in the past um, and and just how easily it is for people to kind of move on and think about other things. And it's not not malice. It's not anything you did wrong. It's not like we get in our own heads of like, oh, I must have made that person upset. And really just like people are busy and people think about other things. So, you know, if you're feeling a dry patch, like what worked before, what is a way I can kind of like bring some fresh energy to this thing that I used to do? This question is, what do you do the first time you have someone not like their photos? The first time you get the, I don't like my photos uh, message. This is a hard one for all of us who are people pleasers and who love our work and who really, really want to make all of our clients happy, which I think is most of us. Um, But I have found that any type of conflict, there is almost always a solution. I can maybe think of like two times in my entire life beyond beyond photography, two times in my entire life where we just could not come to a solution. Um, and a lot of times that's that's just something going on with the with the other person at that time. But in like 99.9% of cases there is a solution. So I I 
try to just make sure I'm really calm and centered, um, get on the phone with someone and just be like, Hey, like, I'd love to hear your concerns, what's going on. Um, maybe we can figure out a solution. Sometimes it's something as simple as I, you know, wish there were more of this, or I didn't like the way I looked in this. Um, if it's a, if it's a photo shoot and not a wedding, obviously you can't like redo weddings, but if it's a photo shoot, you can find a solution where maybe you reshoot part of it, um, or re-edit some of it. So I think when we get in that place of like, how can we come to a, how can we come to an agreement together? How can we come to a solution together? Instead of just being like, ah, my client's unhappy, either I'm bad or they're bad. Instead of jumping to one of those really extreme decisions, just being like, let's find a solution together. And when you come at it in that place, there's, there's usually something that they will voice that could make it, make it settled or that you can suggest um, so just go into it open, asking like, what would what would be the solution for them? And in the cases where maybe it's not working out so easily, there's a question, and I'm pretty sure I read it from um, Chris Voss, who has a book about negotiation, which is really good, called Never Split the Difference. I'm pretty sure this is from that, where he said to say the question, how co- what would be fair for you? Um, or kind of ask like, what feels fair for you? And so when someone's kind of faced with that, like what would be a fair solution? That's different than like, what's the best solution? Like it's, it's thinking about both parties. What would be fair? And um, then you can kind of come to a conclusion together. And I've found in those cases where someone really is in a bad place or is going through something and you just can't settle it, like if you're able to release them as a client, you will be happier they will be happier. More business will come. Um, and it's just not worth kind of like holding on so tightly to. So I'm so sorry if that is happening to you currently. And that's why you wrote in this question, but just know that it does happen to everybody and almost always there's a way through it. Okay. So let's jump into some of the questions that I asked you. And I always love seeing your answers to things. I love kind of connecting on, on, some of the random nosy questions I ask on Instagram. So one of the ones that I asked this last week was if you were a god or goddess, this is again, coming back from Greece, thinking about mythology, homeschooling Hudson about Greek mythology. And like, there's some screwed up Greek mythology. I don't know if you've read any recently, but like we were reading the story of Medusa and it's like, you know, Athena was mad at her because Medusa was pretty and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, what so much patriarchal stuff. And just, anyway, not that, not that Greeks were the most fair towards women or anything like that. So, but we, you know, we've been reading these different myths, reading these stories, listening to these stories. And I'm like, if I was a god or goddess and I was in charge of creating curses, what would what would you create? And so we got some really funny answers, so I'm going to read a few of them. Okay. One person put, they'd have to wait in a line to do anything and everything. I love that one. Um, everything you do happens to someone else. There was a lot of that of like reflect back what they did to other people, to themselves. Um, this one I thought was really funny. Your fingers are always sticky. Um, nothing they ate would ever taste good. Make people's words appear, they speak, appear on their skin. Um, Karma. Some of our sweet people were like, I was bullied, so I would not want anyone to experience anything bad ever. 
And I love that. I actually, I feel pretty similarly, but it is kind of fun to think about the vengeful part of me likes coming up with the curses. Um, make them be kind to everyone they met that they would only be able to say the complete truth all the time. No lies ever. Kind of like that movie, liar, liar, which hilarious. Um, (laughs) never be able to have an orgasm. Yes. So funny. And you remember everything. That's a pretty good curse. I'm glad I forget some things for sure. But this is the one that I really want to talk about, which is the question, how much money in your bank account would make you feel safe? So I'd love to hear your answers if you didn't answer on Instagram or follow on Instagram to send me a message because I want to know what you think. Like how much money in your bank account would make you feel safe? And we got answers all over the place from 2000 to 10,000 to 50,000 to 2 million to 4 million. I think 4 million might've been the biggest or someone was like millions. And then I still don't think I would feel safe. So I want to talk about this because I think a lot of times we think, oh, once I get to this stage, I will feel great. I will not worry. I will be in this really good place. And something that I've personally experienced is that when When you have any kind of like financial trauma or even just like a really, really strong need to feel safe, no matter how much money is in the bank, it never feels like enough. And it's not this like King Midas, at least for me, it's not this King Midas, like I need all this gold, I need all this wealth or whatever. It's simply like, what if I lose it? Or what if this doesn't work out? Or what? there's always a what if, there's always something to be anxious about. And the thing that creates safety isn't the amount in the bank account, but the way we feel inside of ourselves, the amount of safety we experience as a person. And there's practical emergency fund type things we can do that are quote unquote smart and create safety and create um, this like place of security for us. So to me, it's just such this balance because I, I have a really strong need for security too, but it's just interesting that as my bank account has grown, I don't necessarily feel safer. It's there's a part of it is this like healing process, this choice to feel really grounded and safe inside myself first. And then I find the abundance and I find the solutions around me, no matter what that number is in my bank account. But you know, the practical side of me is like, yes, three to six months emergency fund, or, you know, have that buffer in case like you lose your job or you get hurt or something happens. But you know, like Even with that, there's so many things. If you go worst case scenario, there's so many things that could go wrong that could take away our quote unquote safety. And so I kind of have this feeling like it's, it's just not always this real thing, like safety, what we imagine it to be. Um, and it's much more, it's just, it's different than what we think. So I'd be curious to have this conversation with you. I wish all of you were in this room with me having the conversation, but what do you think? Is there a number that would make you feel safe? Or are you kind of like me where you're like, listen, emergency fund in the bank is great, but even if there's millions, I still, it's still not going to fix everything unless I kind of work on myself. I'd be curious to know what you think. Um, And if you have worked through any kind of like past 
um, poverty or financial trauma or some experience that is contributing to that feeling of not being safe if you found something that has been really helpful for you. Um, for me, I would say the you know the grounding walks every day, some of the spiritual healing practices, meditation, those things make me feel as safe as a lot of the things financially that I do. So um, anyway, that was an interesting conversation starter and um, would be interested to hear what you think about that for yourself too. And then the other question that we asked you, which was, is if December 31st was the day the world ended, like of this year, you had five months left on earth, what would you do at that time? So many of you said, quit my job, travel, or, you know, if just travel, be with my family, be with my friends. And so my question back to you is what steps can we start taking now to act as if the world is ending just in the, in the vein of doing the things that are really important to us right now, doing, you know, taking the time to travel, to be with our family as much as possible. Like what does moving towards that look like for you right now without, quitting your job and selling all of your belongings and all those things. But how can we kind of like walk into alignment right now um, as if we were feeling that pressure to get that time in with people? Um, all right. Well, this has been fun. Thanks for joining me for a Q&A episode. I can't wait to do another one in the future. So if you have a question and you see that question pop, question box pop up on Instagram, please always feel free to send me a question. I'll answer it on there and then try to go into it more on here. Um, but the challenge starts on Monday. I hope you join us. Please message me and um, click the link in the show notes if you want the worksheets and you want the emails each day. But the episodes will be dropping right here. So make sure you subscribe, send this to a friend, remind them that we're going to be having a actionable challenge each day next week that will help bring more clients in the door to their photo business. If you're not a photographer, by the way, this will still apply to you. Um, this is going to be best for photographers and service-based service creatives. So um, we get a lot of therapists that do our program. We get a lot of videographers or coaches, people who have some kind of creative service that they do. Um, this is going to be awesome for you. And um, just, yeah, tell me that you're going to join. That would be awesome. And then I can, um, you know, I'm going to be resharing, posting, liking, boosting all the things that come through. So um, thanks for tuning in for this episode of the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. And I will see you again on Monday. This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Jamie Lono and Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time. I want you to get